Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. much um can we can we clap for yemi just, no yemi obviously well someone someone doesn't even know the vision of the church doesn't mean after one year plus officially do you okay where you you sit at the back on sunday she must sit at the back back seat on sunday all right no but nice to have you nice nice um especially if you're, you're visiting us yeah, me and Jumoke have kind of said what this is meant to be about, right? It's, uh, last week, we were trying to say, okay, whether you think it's true or not, not everybody in Lagos is a Christian, right? Now, we know that Christianity has affected most people, right? So even Muslims are Christian Muslims, right? Muslims also do revivals, right? Someone that is an atheist really is an atheist who knows he, he doesn't believe in Jesus or he doesn't believe in God. He's not just an atheist that is uh, without context, all right? So that's what we're trying to address last week. Um, This week, because we think this is quite important as well, um, a lot of Christians would profess, and maybe some of us here, would profess to be Christians, but don't really do church. So some of us here would be, we're not maybe part of um, what you call a recognized church. Some of us may be a part of one, but we're not really happy about how things are going in that church. I'm sure everybody in City Church, no one in City Church actually falls in this category. Um, Oh dear, all right. So, and then some of us probably, occasionally, we dip into one church or the other. So we may go for one event, we may go, you know, worship on Sunday, this other Sunday, maybe stay at home. And maybe some of us here are actually committed to church, but we are, we are curious about what we want to talk about. Can I just say that we're happy? Wherever you fall into, we're actually happy that you are here. Now, as a pastor, obviously, I believe that the church is very important. If I didn't, I won't have a house to live in, and I won't be able to pay my children's fees. But beyond that, I believe actually the church is central in God's plan for humanity. Now, having said that, I'm very aware also that the church can really be, you know, jacked up. The church has caused uh, legitimate hurts to a lot of people, and uh, maybe some of you here. Now, I say this not being far removed from this. I do have a little bit of experience in it. I have, in the time I've been here on earth, I have been part of eight churches, at least. And when I say part of, I don't mean I've attended eight churches. I mean I've been committed to eight churches. Now, some of them, I had no choice as to whether I was going to be part of them or not, of the first two churches in my life, right? Uh, the other ones, um, of, there was one of them I remember I left, and no one, I, I had spent close to a year there, I left, and no one even noticed that I left. I mean, I was seeing people in the church, and this church is, is a small church, right? It's a small church. I'll see people on the road, and they'll say, and I'll be, you know, this kind of, immediately you saw them, you were thinking they were going to say hi, but you noticed they didn't say hi. So now you're doing your eye like so that they'll notice that we should know each other and they're looking like, no, I don't know you. And they just went. <laughs> you know, many people. Another one, you know, uh, the one I spent the most amount of time in, eventually I had to leave. 
But that was quite, it was a very, very painful experience. A lot of hurtful uh, things were said. And um, another one that I was part of, you know, that I left again, but with a lot of, I would say, inaccuracy said. You know, there were a lot of smears um, uh, put against one. So while I would say that uh, the Lord did a lot of wonderful, crucial things in my life in all these churches that I've gone to, if I'm honest with you, I can only really recommend two of those churches, or I can only really say that I will be part if now, today, I can only really be part of two of those eight churches, and I'm currently part of one of them. <laughs> so, you know, I say all of these to say I'm not going to try to um, address this talk in some kind of, you know, far-removed scholastic manner like, well, okay, let's just talk about it. I am well aware that some of us have gone through things, maybe bad counseling, Maybe, you know, um, abuse. Maybe, I don't know, so many different things. And whilst we may not have gone through your particular experience, um, it doesn't mean that we haven't as well. So again, I believe in the church, but again, I know that the church does have issues. So, having said all of this, really I want to address the issue that I would say that even with all I have gone through, I do believe more than at any point in my life, that com a commitment to the local church, a healthy and imperfect church is necessary and vital for every believer, all right? So this is, I think, is God's will, and this is what we're going to be talking about. So now, again, I know there are many issues. We can't address all the issues, so I'm going to only address three of them, three issues that I think a lot of us as Lagosians face when we're saying we can't be part of a church, all right? So those three issues would be and actually, we're going to have three friends. I'll introduce you to three friends also who would help us represent these issues. All right? So, but these three issues would be badly behaving pastors, one. Uh, the church is an organism, not an organization, two. And then three, I am spiritual, but not religious. Now, to talk about the first one, can I introduce you to one day? One day, please come. Thank you. And Wanda is going to tell us a little bit about why he is not part of the church. Wandy. Yeah, Wandy. Well, sorry, can't hear that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, well, I'm neither a preacher, nor a pastor, nor a man of God. But I have read the Bible a couple of times, and uh, I think I too have the spirit. I've been listening to this man, uh, the way he preaches in this church, uh. and I've observed his lifestyle. <laughs> I've observed his lifestyle closely for, for the time that I've been in the church. And I can safely say that he is filled with unbiblical greed. <laughs> and he conducts, he conducts himself um, as though he's the Alpha and Omega of the church, and he, with little or no accountability at least from where I stand, okay. and it's as though the entire church is built and centered around him, so he's like the center of the church. Ah. Now, isn't there something wrong with the picture, the picture I'm painting? Uh, and, well, am I touching the, God's, the Lord's anointed uh, by saying these things? Yes, you are. Or yeah. even by thinking it all this while? Uh, well, if my criticisms um, seem far-fetched, given that it's the common thing in churches in, around me in Lagos, 
Now, am I not better off staying at home and leaving the church thing? Uh, no thanks, one day you can go and sit down. That was not the way it was meant to be. Um, notice nobody in the city church said amen to what he said. If you dare try and say amen, the wrath of God will fall upon you. All right, but can I say, let's state the obvious. You know, you are correct. You know, even if you're here and you don't agree that things are that bad for him to be able to leave the church, at least can you entertain the fact that if you've not gone through this experience, that some people here have gone through this kind of experience more than you have. For a lot of people outside the church, and including, you know, um, those who don't go, the money and power issue is a big problem in the church. Now, we addressed that also last week. We found that's a big issue for many people. Now, it seems like you're always being asked from left, right, and center to put some money down for the solution to every single kind of problem. Are you single? Drop money. Do you want the promotion in your job? Drop money. Do you want a new pastor? No, actually, you won't be able to drop money on that one, right? But every single thing, money is being asked right center. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of us here would say, look, it's not that I want to be greedy with my money. It's not. I do believe that I have to give to the church. But it does seem like every single time I'm being asked, and then it makes me think like, People are diagnosing, or uh, teachers are diagnosing, that the greatest need that I have in this world, or my greatest uh, problem, is poverty, and therefore my greatest need is money. And it even seems like sometimes, even when we talk about eternal truths that have to do with, uh, you know, salvation or the things that Jesus Christ has done, when it's mentioned, it's almost like paying lip service to it. They hardly feature the center of many of the churches I've been to. That's what you're saying. And there's even the additional concern that pastors sometimes, who are really flawed men of like passions, right, that sometimes they have too much unfettered power in the churches. Now, though we would acknowledge that Christ is the head of the church, you wouldn't really know it if you went into some of these places. Because sometimes it's like the pastor just unilaterally takes decisions. No one can question him. If you question him, you're probably out of the church the next week. That's what I've gone through, some of us will be saying. And then even worse is that even though they may say that there is a structure and everyone is held accountable to the structure, it seems like one person is above the structure. One person does, has only one signature for the movement of money. One person makes all the decisions. And really, when we look at that kind of structure, it's really basically saying one thing, that the pastor probably is not prone to error. Now, even though they would say that pastors are mere mortals, they are really treated like demigods. They seem to have this special connection to God because, you know, we are children of God, but that is a man of God. So they seem to have a special connection to God that really, in some way, even though we'll say they're really, they're human, but in some way, maybe they're special humans. They're divine humans. Now, can I say that these things, and if we have to be honest, these things are facts. This isn't, you know, it's a fact, and it's a fact, and we should grieve about it. It's not the kind of thing where many times people do, we just try to silence people over, like one day was saying, you know, we silence people by saying, well, it's the laws that are anointed. You know, sometimes we see things that are brazenly wrong 
As one day said, I've read the Bible, I see all of these things. And then people say, well, don't judge, you know, leave every man of God to God and things like that. Now, having said all of that, yet I will say this. I still contend that this is not enough reason not to be committed to a healthy church. You see, I'm sure some of us know this. If you've met people who are non-Nigerians, I recently met someone that was a non-Nigerian and I was speaking, and then he said something. This, was, this is in Africa, so it's not even outside Africa. And he then said, okay, you know what? I think I may start changing my mind about Nigerians. And the reason basically is we know, Yahoo, Yahoo, internet scam. And the point that the mistake that these people make, and you would say it's a mistake, is because many Nigerians, many Nigerians, although the minority, many Nigerians are internet scammers, in fact, the only Nigerians I've met. Therefore, I will have nothing to do with any Nigerians again. There's something flawed in that, isn't it? You've met a subset of a particular people, and maybe those are the people that you've interacted with, and because of the problems you had with those people, you have now tainted everyone with it. Now, on this argument, let me say one thing first. Can we first, if you are really a Christian here, can we first show some Christian empathy with the many people we say don't have brains, that they, have been, that they continue to be scammed by these people? I don't know, how many of you have this um, app called uh, YouVersion for your Bibles? YouVersion, most of us read that. In 2015, YouVersion did a, a bit of research. At this time, there were like 200 million downloads. And they were looking at some of the most important regions in the world, at least where there are most Christians. And they were looking at their most downloaded verse or their most read verses. Right? So in Australia, they had things that had to do with uh, renew your mind. In fact, it was Australia, I think, and the US, renew your mind. Um, I can't remember what China was, but China had to do with something on suffering. Which one do you think was the most favorite verse for Nigeria? Well, I'll read it for you. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, before we go ahead and laugh on that, how many of us want a bad hope and a bad future? None. Now, maybe you are... God has privileged you that a lot of the people that flock to these places and are looking for just a better part of their life, maybe where you are now, is in a better place than where those people are. But nonetheless, I'm sure you're hoping for something. Hope is one of the most powerful forces that we have in human, in human history. Why? Because none of us is fully satisfied where we are, and hope keeps us going. Once you lose hope in life, really, you are like a paralyzed person. Why should you get up? Most people that have given up hope are the people that commit suicide. And if you live in a country where, quite frankly, 66% of the people in this city, to get ahead in their life, they can't trust, their, they can't look to their family. Why? Because really their family is even poorer than they are. They have no connections with one super uncle or whatever. They can't look to the society because really, if you look at them, what they are trying to do, the hope that they have is really to try and get out of this society and move, you know, they want to get out from the mainland, move to the island, that kind of thing. And worse off, they cannot look to the government. In fact, when you consider their situations, no network of connections, no, the education isn't all that great. Really, they'll tell you this. For me to get out of this place, there's only one thing I have, and that's what I can look to. That's what? A miracle. 
They only can look to God. And so, doesn't it make sense that if they know that the only way out of this is God, when someone who comes and says, I am a man of God, says, I can get you out. You see, it's the desperation that makes them vulnerable. And it's on that vulnerability that the scammers come in and promise them anything that they can, uh, anything they want by just giving them a little, a little something. In other words, I'm saying sometimes some of us look and say, well, you're just not using your brain. Why are you parking your brain somewhere else? Look at all these people. They are all so gullible. I don't think that's the way Jesus would want us to react. I think this calls for a little bit of Christian empathy. I'm not saying that they are right, but I'm saying they are in a desperate situation. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 29 11 says something. It screams out hope to them. And they've, these guys have capitalized on that. So that's one thing. Additionally, though, let's say you are committed to the Bible. So yes, you're a Christian. You don't go to church because of all these things. Let's say you are committed to the Bible. You really should expect these things to happen. Why? Because the scriptures have already foretold of it. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So why do you look so surprised? Why do you like, oh, the church has really gone, it's, it's, it's really now going to hell, really? There's only a remnant that is left here. Please, are you a remnant? Can I see? Do you have an arrow at the back of your chest? Actually, the scriptures have already spoken about it. In fact, if anything, I'm not saying you should rejoice in the situation that you find appalling, but at least you should rejoice in the fact that the scriptures that you read is reliable. It has said that these things will happen. But the same scriptures that say that these things will happen and it condemns them just the same way you are condemning them, those same scriptures don't say that the only way you have, that the only way to react to this is for you to leave the church. In fact, those same scriptures, on the one hand, condemn these things, but at the same time, they affirm it. The, script, the, the verses I just quoted to you were from 2 Timothy. And in Paul's 10 chapters writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, what is really Paul doing? He's giving Timothy instructions of how to handle himself in where? In the church. So Paul does not see the fact that there are false teachers all around and people are doing terrible things as a reason for you to abandon the church, really. You see, the things that you are grieving about that is happening in the church is not an argument, it's an argument for a healthier church like Paul was doing. It's an argument for reformation in the church, not an argument for exodus from the church. And you say, well, okay, but that's not my own big problem. That's not my big problem. And so if that's not a big problem, let's now meet Chica. Chica, come around. And Chica, please do exactly what I told you when we spoke, all right? No funny ideas like that one over here. So Chica probably has a different problem. Communion and so-called church. 
things aren't so structured like we have it today with all the activities, programs, rehearsals, We just want to be bare and honest before God. You see, church is an organism, not an organization. So I go to church already, not just the kind of church you're used to. Thank you, Chica. Now, I don't know about you. I'm sure if I take a sample here, most people will say there's something cold and impersonal about structure. When you think about structure, you can't refer to structure as a he or a she. What structure? You refer to structure as an it. And now when you take the metaphor like something like the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, the vine has life, branches. Or you even take the more popular one, which is the body of Christ. These are very organic, and that means that inherently they have life. They're very organic metaphors. So it's understandable when you start bringing in things like that have to do with structure. And I don't know how many of you find these words sexy and very, they just do your juices in. When we talk about hierarchies, you know, elders, deacons, members, or programs. You guys don't look excited. Oh, no. All right, women's Bible studies, theology days, evangelism Saturdays, student prayer meeting. Or let me tell you, which one? No, 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 that one is fantastic. That's, no, no. Don't, don't do that. Don't. But okay, if those ones are too bad, how about budgets, Excel sheets, right? Legal papers, accountability mechanisms. Now, I know those things don't sound very great, right? Now, especially if you are maybe in a church where the focus has shifted from people to now this super kind of structure that we've built. It's more programs, more programs, more programs. What's the next strategy? What's the next this? How, you've not signed that budget? Yeah, but I, I have a problem. My marriage is, is, is failing. Are you, are you sure? Have you read that book? Read that book. But come back and actually feel it. And you start saying, is it more about the structure? Because now it's become a very complex structure. And you say, there's no life in here. So if we move from a place where the focus has become the structure and now not the people, we have to ask the question, as many of you have probably asked, and maybe made you leave, how did church come all about this or these? Since when do I need an evangelism program to talk to people about Christ? Why do I need some guys strumming of the guitar at the front before I can sing songs to my God? No, I agree with you. As long as church gathering and existence is more about something else apart from God, then we have a problem. Sadly, once again, it is the case that a lot of churches have moved in that direction. They've not recognized the organic element of the church. But, and this is a big but, the church is an organization, is an organism, I, I, I totally agree with you. But the church is also an organization. First of all, can we say there's nothing that lives in this world? Nothing organic, right? No organism. Show me an organism that doesn't have a structure. It just doesn't exist. It can't live without it. The structure, however, is not there to is not there to serve its purpose, it's there to serve a larger purpose, not itself. So, 
Can I ask, how many of us here have blood flowing through our veins? Uh, you, are, you are saying that, okay, okay. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, close your eyes. Everyone close their eyes. Close, 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 please, close. All right, open your eyes. Do, do like this. Now look around. You can't see skeletons. <laughs> you guys are not very spiritual, honestly. Now, for us to live, we all need blood in our veins, right? Blood flowing through our bodies. Blood circulation is important for living. If you don't have blood flowing through your veins, you will die, isn't it? How many of us here are living for blood flowing through our veins? Is your reason for living such that, man, you don't know how this blood is pumping? No, actually, the blood flowing through our veins is something, it, it's something that serves our lives for a greater purpose. If you don't have blood flowing through your veins, you will never actualize what your purpose for living is. But your purpose for living is not blood flowing through your veins. And it's the same thing with structure or organization in the church. The organization is there to serve the larger purpose of the organism. Now you say, nah, well, is this biblical? Well, if you have a Bible, you can, throw, you can swipe yourself to there. But just two verses in 1 Peter 2. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 5, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at that verse, you see three things about the church. Because at least you agree with me, it's talking about the church. There are three things you notice about the church. One, the church is a people, not a person. It's a people, not a person. When it says, as you come to him, the you there in Greek is plural. It's not singular, all right? So the you there is like, like you people, as you people come to him. So the church is a person, not a people. Some of you say, why do you even say that? I've met many people that say, I am the church, okay? No, you are not the church, all right? You are a believer, but you are not the church. The church is always referred to as people. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the church is referred to as a specific people. So it's not just any people. It's a specific people. Why? He says, as you come to him, who is him? The living stone, the living stone that was rejected by humans, but chosen and precious to God. Chosen by and precious to God. Who is that? We know that is the person of Jesus Christ. So it is the people, a specific pe a people who have come to Jesus Christ. They are specific people. But the third thing you notice there is that it refers to the church. The church is referred to as a specific organized people. Why do I say that? What is happening there? He says, you also like living stones are being what? Built. Are being built into a spiritual house. So we talk about the vine, right? Life, vine. Talk about body, right? Life, all of that. But now we're talking about building. We're talking about a house. Houses don't grow unless you put block on them. You know that. So on the one hand, we have, in, we have organic metaphors, and on the other hand, we have inorganic metaphors. It's the same Jesus that speaks about his church and says, I will do what? Build my church, and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. So now I know it's not an ordinary house because it's a spiritual house. It is the house, the temple that the Holy Spirit resides in. 
So if the question is, is it an organism or is it an organization? And the answer, of course, is yes. It is both an organism and an organization. In fact, we can call it that the church is an organized organism. In fact, other metaphors, if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15, Paul calls it uh, a pillar. He also calls it a foundation as well. And he also says that he was giving instructions. Ooh, instructions, that really sounds juicy. You see, we like, I'm, I'm part of those kind of people, we like organic and spontaneous community. And the Bible is not against it. Because the spirit resides there. But let's stop trying to make this choice between both organization or organism. If you read 1 Corinthians 14, the famous passage on speaking in tongues and prophecy, right? Some people are like, we should just open everything and let's just speak in tongues. Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And yet, after, Paul says, well, if you're all speaking in tongues and somebody who is not a believer comes in and you're all speaking in tongues, what would he think? He would think you guys have gone bonkers. That's what he said. Right? He would say you people are mad. Paul, on the one hand, says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And then he says, we should maintain order in the house of the Lord. In the same chapter. He's always saying the same two things. We think those two things cannot actually reside with one another. The Bible is saying, sorry, they can't. Sometimes we'll say, well, you know, giving, I, I don't like people to compel me to give. I don't like laws telling me to give because I, I need to give from my heart. I like to give spontaneously. Well, it's true. The Bible says that we should be ready to give at all times. But if you only give spontaneously, what about if you have widows in the house? In fact, I, I was reading 1 Timothy recently, and I was surprised how many times widows actually appear. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.9, listen to what Paul says, now... No widow may be put on the list of widows. You can call it register. Register? No widow should be put on the register or the list of widows unless she's over 60. Verse 11, as, your, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. Well, if you already have a list of widows, do you really think that, that those people will be served properly if all we're just waiting for is when you feel like giving? Don't always feel like doing something, but sometimes we are dutifully called to do something. I always love my wife. I don't always think she feels like she loves me. She doesn't always feel, but she has to love me. Life is all about both duty and spontaneity. And it's the same thing with the church. You say, well, even with the leaders. The main fact that we talk about leaders, you take Hebrews 13 verse 17 and it says, obey your leaders. And there you see structure. Obey. You're just called to obey them. But in Hebrews 13, verse 7, before that, it says that you should imitate, imitate them. In other words, they are only worth obeying if they're worth imitating. Now, when Peter starts talking about the when you start saying, well, they are, but these leaders are abusive, well, Peter says, yes, because you have not been biblical enough. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2 to 3, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You know what Peter is saying? If you have bad leaders, again, it's not an argument against the church. It's an argument for you to have better leaders. If the structure is bad, it's not an argument to say there should be no structure in the church. You say, now we should start thinking about whether the structures are serving the purpose of the church. And maybe we should have better structures.
if you're still holding on to this argument that no, 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 well, I, I don't think so, but I would say to you this. There comes a time when you have to ask yourself, if you are justifying the pattern of life you live more as a reaction to your bad experiences than biblical fidelity. Is this that, well, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do because you don't know what I'm going through. I actually don't know what you're going through. Guess who knows what you're going through? God. And God hasn't yet changed some of these things. And I'm not saying it's always simple, but I'm saying we have to decide whether we want to obey God or we want to obey men, including yourself. But then you say probably, this is not me again, it's not me. Or, well, my argument is something similar, but it's not, you've not really captured it. And then I have to introduce you to Asabe. Asabe, come out. Please come. Thank you. Someone said that they never heard the name Asabe. She's from Kaduna, by the way. Hmm. My issue with church has to do with all the unnecessary doctrines and rules. Asabe, don't do this. Have Asabe, don't wear that. We are more concerned about learning deep things and rule conformity than with enjoying and experiencing the spirit. I cannot tell you how often God speaks to my spirit when I'm alone in solitude. This never happens to me in church. You know why? There are a lot of hindrances with all this religion. Jesus came to give us life and not religion. Don't forget, Jesus was not a Christian. So I don't think I have to be one, at least not in that traditional sense. After all, since I am not saved by going to church, why do I even have to bother with all these doctrines, rules that limit freedom? They quench the spirits and they divide humanity. You know that hallelujah challenge. <laughs> Stay there, it's breaking boundaries. Meanwhile, our religion is just building walls. Spirituality, not religion, is what we need. Oh. Which we all say. Ah. Uh, Emmanuel, did you say amen? <laughs> now, I don't know, depending on how old you are, right? There's a very strong possibility that you've, at one time or the other, had to endure church stairs. You know what I mean by church stairs? You know, women particularly understand stairs. You know, when, when my wife would say, did you even see how that, that woman was looking? I'm like, how was she looking? Say, no, that, that woman, she was looking. I saw the woman. How was she looking? So you don't understand. <laughs> women always see there's something. So that church stair from that sister, why? Because your skirt was above the knees. Or the pastor's wife who subtly mentions to you that Christian men should not be wearing chain. That happened to me in 2006. Five. I have not worn chain, chain ever since. <laughs> nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in other words, when you continuously disobey implicit and explicit biblical commands, you are in fact showing that you have to question whether you are saved or not. Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm not saved by going to church. It is true. But what if, being what if going to church is actually being commanded in the Bible? If you continue to disobey a particular command in the Bible, we start asking the question, does the Holy Spirit really live inside of you? 
So on the one hand, when we throw out that argument, I'm not saved by going to church. Okay, so what does that say? Will you be saved by continually flouting this, uh, commandments that the Bible has expressly, uh, that the Bible has expressly put out there? That's one thing. Because really, Jesus says, you, you love me if you love me, if you love me. And that's a way of referring to people who are Christians. If you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. And I'll tell you that one of them is being part of the church. Second, when it comes to doctrine, we really have no choice. Why? Because it's not true that the non-religious, uh, the non-religious spiritual person does not have doctrine. Oh, no, no, I don't do doctrines. I just follow the spirit. I just, I don't have time. All the doctrine just divides. It brings bitterness. I don't, all these things. Oh, really? Okay, let me ask you a question, if you are that kind of person. Does it matter to you if there's one God? Does it matter to you if Jesus is God come in flesh? Be careful. If you say it doesn't matter to you, 1 Corinthians 4.3 says that if you, say, if you declare that Jesus is not coming to flesh, what? You are the spirit of the Antichrist. Actually, when we're advertising this thing on Facebook, some people said that we are the Antichrist. So, does it matter to you if Jesus is the only way to God? Is Scripture the final authoritative word of God? Now, let me say this. As long as you have an opinion on it, I'm not even saying whether it's the right opinion or not. As long as you have an opinion on any of these questions, congratulations, you have doctrine. You may say you don't, but you do. In fact, you have lots of them. You have many different opinions and many answers on these things. The real distinction should not be whether or not we, ha we should have doctrine. The real distinction is whether or not it is false or sound doctrine. Listen to what Paul does in 1 Timothy. 1, 1 Timothy 1, and then I'll go to Titus 2. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Titus 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Paul is saying, no, you would always have doctrine. The issue is not whether you should be, you don't have doctrine or not. It's whether you have the false doctrine or sound doctrine. And what about rules? Now, maybe you have non-religious um, meetings. Now, in your non-religious meetings, do you have any agreement on one person not leading so that, you know, will allow the Holy Spirit to take over? Or do you insist that people be not judgmental? Do you insist that people interpret scripture for themselves and not allow others to do it for them since they too have the spirit? If you have answers to any of these questions, then once again, congratulations, you also have what? And if you insist, no, no, we don't have any rules. We don't have any rules. Then your rule is that you don't have rules. Because if somebody, if anyone comes and they are seeking to introduce rules into your community that doesn't have rules, they will be breaking the rule that you don't have rules. Does that make any sense? Even the person that says he doesn't have rules is a rule itself. You see, once you have doctrine, that is what you believe in, what flows out from that is instructions, or what we call rules. If we don't have rules in your house, in your schools, in your, you know what that is? It's, it will lead to anarchy and confusion, and God is not the what? You are. Now, but I know partly what, is get, what we're getting at with this whole issue of rules. 
Sometimes we feel that rules stifle freedom. It stifles freedom. And you say, well, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So why are you not trying to put me in bondage? Let me tell you the problem there. The problem is your definition of what freedom is. Because freedom is not the absence of restrictions. That's not what freedom is. Freedom, rather, is the ability to flourish under the right restrictions. Say that again. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Rather, it is the ability to flourish under the right restrictions. It's, okay, we, we should make an important distinction between what you would call freedom from and freedom to. All right, the former exists for the purpose of the latter. Now, let me give you an example. You don't like rules. We don't, we just, it's just curbing my individual liberty. I don't like rules. All right, for example, let us say that we don't want to enforce any traffic laws in Lagos. No traffic laws. Why? Because traffic laws tell you when to stop. A man just comes there and says, stop, stop. Or the traffic light, somebody that you don't know, just says red, and then it tells you to stop. How dare an impersonal traffic light. Or look at that man. He's not even as educated as a man. How can that day he tells me? No, I want, I'm now the governor. I'm banning last man. Okay, that happened, right? Okay, sorry. All right. All traffic lights, all of those things, no more. No more traffic lights, no more. All right, so if I'm doing that, guess what happens? So that you can get freedom. If you do that, you will soon quickly discover an even greater curb on your liberties. You know what it's called? Traffic jams. You move, you say you didn't want to be under certain restrictions, but actually by doing that, you get into bondage. You see, when a Christian, a non-Christian, accepts the grace of God through Christ, he is not moving from a life of lawlessness into one under tyranny. No, that's not what it is. God's restrictions are always right. Living by and under them would always lead to flourishing. It is sin. If you live under sin, then you have a taskmaster that brings you bondage. But Christ's atoning death moves us from the bondage of sin, freedom from, and brings us into the liberty of the children of God. Freedom to. What we call legalism, what you're against is not laws in Christ. No, because under the covenant of Christ there are laws. What you're against is legalism. And what's legalism? Legalism is ultimately is this doing laws that don't allow you to flourish, basically. Legalism is trying to do laws to actually earn your salvation. If you try to obey laws to earn your salvation, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to pay a debt that you can't ultimately pay. It doesn't bring you into freedom. It brings you into bondage. But what we call cheap grace, license, antinomianism, is also destructive. Why? Because that one, when you say, no, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And I don't have to obey any laws. Well, that one is also destructive. Why? Because it doesn't make a distinction between good and bad restrictions. It suggests that life under laws are bad. But Christians are only able to then are only able to flourish under the law of Christ. If you say all laws are bad, then even the law of Christ is bad. And Paul says this: I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. And that, I would say this, if you're saying spiritual but not religious, what you should be saying is, it is not that religion is bad. Most times we redefine. James tells us there is bad religion, but here is what is good and right religion. 
We should visit the orphan and take care of the widows in their suffering. So we can't do without doctrines and we can't do without laws. Now I've answered those, but let me quickly make a very quick case for why we, sh we need the church. I've just been answering objections, but let me rush through. From a biblical standpoint, in Genesis 2, one of the things we discover when God made humanity is this. Everything is good. Everything is good. But after a while, God now says, well, it's not something he created that was not good, but he noticed that there was a situation that had come about from what he created that wasn't good. It was something that was incomplete. What? The man was alone. And so God now made someone for him who would be a helper, and then it was very good. In other words, loneliness is bad. Now, in addition, man fell. We know that in Genesis chapter 3. And what then happens? You say, well, community is good because Adam and Eve was one community. And after God said that they should be fruitful and multiply. So God always wanted more people and for them to live in community. But Adam and Eve fell, and then sin was multiplied. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel, you now see a community there, but that community is working together, not for good um, 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 purposes, but to rebel against God. And so we then say community is bad, isn't it? Well, what happens in Genesis chapter 12? Because now God is frustrated with sin. So God says, I'm going to set up a plan that will bring salvation to the world. God calls a man called Abraham. And God says, it is you, I'm going to, through you, salvation in all the earth. Through you, all nations of the earth will be. And what does God say when he says that? He says, I will, bless, I will make you into a. So God is going to bless all the world. But in doing that in Abraham, he's going to make a great nation. And then I will bless you. This great nation is who? Israel. God's own people. Now, have you noticed something with the laws of Israel? Most times we look at those laws and we say, oh, it's terrible. That's the law. Now, if you notice something with the laws of Israel, Jesus combines them. They have many laws, but Jesus summarizes them under two, right? He says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind strength. And so notice all of those laws are built on love. What is law? What are laws, good laws? Good laws are just the outworking of love in a society. Don't don't covet your neighbor's wife. Is, is that, is, oh, that's a bad thing, right? We don't like laws. So my neighbor should not covet my, God, God help him. But all of these things, God says, no, if you truly love me, you would obey me. And the way it is grounded, because you cannot see me, is that the people, this community, this Israelite community that I have created, you are to love them. Ah, how will we love? Because it's not just love in your heart. Love has to be concrete. Okay, follow this law and follow this law and follow this law. So that ultimately, the Messiah comes from this community. And when he dies and he rises again, he now says, I am now replacing that old community that was under an old covenant. I'm replacing it with a new community. But the principle is the same. Love one another. For this shall all men know that you are my disciples. But when he says he dies, he says, I die for not just Yemi here or Laomi here. I am laying my life down for my sheep, the sheepfold. Or I'm laying my life down for my bride, a corporate people. And when he then commissions these people, he says, they should go out and baptize all nations. Baptizing, so you see doctrine there. Teaching them to obey. And then you see commandments there. This community is very well structured. If we read Titus 1, Paul says, ordain elders. So that part of the big problem we face nowadays is the one of individualism. 
Now, please, living in community, being accountable to people doesn't lose, you don't lose your individuality, right? You don't lose your individuality, just like if, sorry, what's your name? Uno. Uno. Uno, what would happen if I gave you a ticket to a beautiful island, the, just the best island you can think about? I mean, the waters are clear blue, right? It has many coconut trees. You don't have to rise up to the coconut tree, just, the coconut just comes down. There's a, we've put a grill there, right? And then you have this automatic fishing um, uh, kit that helps you catch all the fish you want. There's a rice, uh, how do we grow rice? Okay, there's a, rice, there's a supply of rice somehow, I don't know. And all of those things, they're all the spices you need. You don't, your boss is not there. Your angry aunt is not there. All of these people. You are the only one on the island. You have all the books you want to read. You have all the music you want. And then the assignment for you there is that for 10 years, because too many people distract you, for 10 years, I want you to be there. I want you to discover yourself. <laughs> After 10 years, how much of herself will she know? She will know absolutely nothing about herself. The only thing I'll tell you like about you know about yourself is that I like people. <laughs> Please get me out of here. Now, let me explain what I mean. You will never truly know who you are without somebody else. You would only know you are patient when God brings an, uh, you are impatient when God brings somebody that really irritates you. And then you now know I have to work out patience. So God puts us in community. This is why in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, don't forsake. The Lord. It says, let us consider how we may spur or provoke one another toward what? Love and good deeds. That means if we're not together, we cannot, we can't spur one another. You can't, love can't really come out. I love you so much. Just stay away from me. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As the church hurts you, it's not an argument to stay away. Church can be messy, I know. But guess what the Spirit's special job is? The Spirit is very good at dealing with messy people. Finally, as I've said all of this, some of us are legitimately asking that where, okay, fine, fine. I would entertain these arguments. Here's the big problem. Where can I find such a church? Now, I confess it's not always easy. No church is perfect. In fact, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll ruin it. <laughs> right? No church is perfect. But not all churches are unhealthy. I'm not making it an argument for you to find a perfect church. I would say you should find a healthy church. You need a healthy church. And you say, okay, how do I know a healthy church? Let me give you two signs. There are two signs of a healthy church, and I will close. Sorry, I've really, spent, I've really gone over my time. One, the, the, the two signs is this, are these. The presence and the place of the gospel. The presence and the place of the gospel. The presence. The presence is really this. It's basically this question. Does the gospel appear or not? Now, when I say the gospel, I mean specifically. About the good news that Christ, who is God, became a man and came to die for sinners. He rose again. He returned to heaven. He is now the Lord of the world and he's returning as its judge. If that doesn't happen, and sadly I know many places that doesn't happen, how do I know? As a pastor, many times I meet new people and we're talking, I say, tell me the gospel. How were you saved? And tell me, what is the gospel? I have had many kinds of answers. I often don't hear this. And I'm talking about people who have been in the church for 10, 15 years. 
Because there's an assumption, ah, we know that now we're a church, where the gospel is on our site. Now, the test is important because if the gospel is present, I, can, I make bold to say, if the gospel is present at any, any kind of frequency at all, a lot of the excesses that we spoke about, a lot of the things that you are grieved about in the church, I would say that a lot of them will be avoided. And I'm not saying that as a formula. I'm saying the, if the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth, there is no greater truth. In fact, the truth is a euphemism many times for Paul for the gospel. Then a lot of these excesses will be away. So that's the, the, the place. But the place is not at uh, the presence. But if you want to really ensure the health, sustaining health of the church, it's not just the presence, we need the place. What do I mean by the place? The place is the aspect of, that deals with whether the gospel is at the door or the gospel is at the center of the church. What do I mean by if it's at the door? Well, ah, guys, at 3, at 3 p.m. on 26th of November, we're having an evangelistic event. So bring your non-Christian friends. There's a presentation of the gospel, and then we get them in. And once you have come in, now we have to teach you the 10 steps to financial prosperity, the five steps to a fantastic God spanking marriage, all of these things. Why? Because discipleship, the gospel is what? Is what gets you in. But discipleship is all about different principles here and there. If we read the Bible, now I have to say this cultures change, societies change, right? Paul was not reading his Bible on his smartphone. Peter was not preaching with a lapel mic. I understand that. Church would always change. All the aids we employ will change over time. But the centrality, the, the central place of the gospel must not change. The gospel not only, uh, is, not the only, is not only about how we get into the kingdom, it's also how we are shaped in the kingdom. It's how we are discipled. What do I mean? When Paul wants to advise husbands, right, about their wives, he says this. Husbands, love your wives, right? Now, Paul can say, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because if you don't love your wife, she would cook your food, she will poison it, and you will die. Or if you don't love your wife, she's going to turn your children against you. Or if you don't love your wife, you will, she will nag and nag and nag and nag until she drives you out. Are those not all good motivations for loving your wife? If you are not married, believe me, it's a good motivation. They are. So he could have used different motivations, but what did Paul say? Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up what? Paul was not saying become a Christian by believing in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Do you notice? No, he's talking to Christians and he's saying the same way you got into the kingdom is the same way you should live your life. Colossians 2, 6 to 7. The gospel at the center ensures that not only how we get in, but our behavior is thoroughly shaped. If you want to see the power of the Spirit at work, because the power, the Spirit is really God as, God's at work in His power, then remember what Romans 1, 6, uh, 16, 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God. The Spirit only works when the gospel is being proclaimed. It says, accept one another as God has accepted you. Forgive one another as God has forgiving you in Christ. If you try and forgive just by sheer will, just by sheer will, eventually you bury it, and one day, one and a half, month, uh, one and a half uh, years after, the person will do something, and you'll explode, and you then say, that is how you did like the other time. Why? Because you only try to forgive the person 
in a way that you are trying to force your will. But if you forgive the person because whatever offense the person has committed against you cannot be compared to the, to the offense that you have committed against God. If you do that, there is a chance that you can, you can truly forgive. So we've said these objections. I hope that you've thrown out your questions. I'm sorry for actually spending more time than we can. But hopefully, we'll be able to have some questions in a few minutes' time. But now you can get up, stretch your legs, have a drink, have some puff puff, and we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.